Amen. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is Christmas in a nutshell. It's a small nutshell because we have to come to the cross. We have to go from the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us to His full and complete work. But what glory, what joy, and what praise to, to read and to think about the Lamb who was given, who was slain for our pardon, the promise of peace to those who believe. Open your Bibles with me, if you have them, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20 today. We come, we've been looking through the first chapter of Luke at these um, circumstances and happenings before the birth of the Messiah, and we come now to the crescendo. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And we're going to look at this under probably a title that you could have guessed, The Wonder of Christmas, The Glory of Christmas, The Joy of Christmas. Um, Again, this is climactic in Luke's writing. He has spent more time than any of the other gospel writers setting up the birth of the Messiah. He, he spends more time in these verses talking about the immediate things that happen around the birth of the Messiah than any of the other gospel accounts do. So, so there's this natural crescendo as we've studied the last several weeks to see the coming of John, the forerunner, the, the prophet, the declarer of the Messiah, and now we reach the peak, the coming of Christ. So ultimately what we see is the sovereign power and the unmatched glory of the Lord on display through the birth of Christ. Again, this is the wonder of Christmas. So let's go to the text. Um, I'll invite you today to stand with me as we read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. This is the Word of God, holy inerrant and inspired. It's given for our instruction and our edification and for the Lord's glory. And it reads, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. And he went in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which it will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God 
in the highest, and peace on earth among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into the heavens, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. May the Lord bless his word and write it on our hearts. You may be seated. Now let's join and go before the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, what wonder and glory do we behold as we celebrate this Christmas holiday, as we celebrate and remember the coming of the Messiah. The Word became flesh who dwelt among us, who has revealed your glory, who has come as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Lord, this is a holiday that can certainly be filled with happiness and and joy and fun. Lord, it's a, it's a holiday where we stop and pause and remember and celebrate our Lord and Savior, the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ. So as we look to your word today, Lord, I pray that you would indeed write it upon our hearts and pray that we would be able to pause for this short period and consider the glorious truths of your word before us. And pray, Lord, though, I'm sure we have many things to get to, family gatherings and the like. Pray that our hearts and our minds would be captivated by your word as it is before us today. Pray that your spirit would move in power. That you would draw us to repentance in the things in which we have failed you. Pray that you would build up and well up in us a great sense of joy as we consider our Savior, who has left the heavens, took on flesh so that he might conquer death's sting. Lord, what victory and hope it is that we have in Christ. Lord, sanctify us in, by, and through the truth. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move powerfully in us and among us today. Lord, I pray that you would drive us to see your glory, that we would behold the glory of Christ. Pray that we would be transformed through the teaching and preaching of your word. Lord, we know that your word does not return void, and we ask that its power would be displayed to and in us today. We thank you for Christ. Thank you for his life for his substitutionary death, for his victorious resurrection, and for his ascension whereby and through which he now sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of his own. Glorious Christ. We ask all this in his name. 
Amen. So as we look to Luke chapter 2, what ought to jump off the pages to us is that there is glory and praise and joy and wonder in every line of this account. It's not as though we read and there's this single kind of climactic verse, but the whole of this passage points to the glory of the Lord. Luke displays this glory of God in the birth of Christ so that the saints, all the saints throughout the ages, may glory in the wonder of the Savior, that we may share in the joy and the praise that is exemplified in this text. As we look through narratives in the Scripture, so often we see these examples that we are to follow. Sometimes there are examples that we should reject and avoid, but often it's examples of how we ought to live, what should fill our hearts and what should press us on. So you think about the path that has led to to the birth of Christ in Luke's gospel. You had the, the conception of John, the prophecy of John's conception and birth, and then the conception of Christ, the conception of Jesus in Mary. And then you had the birth of John, and then some six months or so later, we come then to the birth of the Messiah. This is the Word made flesh, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. This is the Lord. And how does he come? He comes humbly. He's born in a stable to be brought up and raised by a poor carpenter and his soon-to-be wife. But what surrounds the humble birth of Christ? It's glory and joy and praise, devotion, commitment, obedience. So as we see God's sovereign power and Christ's humble devotion on display in this narrative, we should be driven to follow the examples that are shown in this text. The praise and the joy and the obedience and the devotion, that should be our takeaway from the description of Holy Scripture of the birth and the coming of the Messiah. We should be driven to respond. We should be filled up with joy and with praise. Now, many among us are going through difficult and hard and trying seasons. But look to the Messiah. Find your joy in the Savior. Find your joy in knowing that you have a hope that is enduring and unfading and cannot be taken away because it's in the finished work of Jesus. So this is our focus for today, to, to see these examples of, of joy and praise and to draw from them and to apply them in our own lives. In, in a way, this is so simple to think about joy and praise in light of Christmas. If, if you are in Christ, if there's any depth to your walk in Christ, when you think about Christmas, joy and praise should be some of your first responses. But let me tell you, when you are full of joy, when you are full of praise and constantly thinking about the Messiah, that transforms your life. That is changing. That is sanctifying. That transitions you from looking to the things of this world to fixing your gaze on Christ, to looking to His return, to hoping in Him, and thus purifying yourself just as He is pure. So yes, this is simple, 
but it's transformingly simple or simply transforming. So to move through this text, I want to show you four things. I think there's four, four headings that we can kind of look and move through as we see the text. We see God's sovereign operation. We see Christ's humble incarnation. We see the angels' heavenly declaration, and then the saints in their faithful adoration. So verses 1 through 5, the sovereign operation of God. Sovereign operation. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth, all of the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was the governor. And everyone was on his way to be registered for the census, each to his own city. Now, what should jump out in this is that these are divinely orchestrated circumstances that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, where the Messiah was prophesied to be born. Historical accounts tell us that the census was taken every 14 years. Okay, so 14 years, break another 14 years. And this census by God's sovereign operation, was taken right at this very time. The Roman Empire of that day was in total power, total authority in this region. It was really a time of peace because there was such totalitarian rule from the Romans that there was no resistance. There was no uprising. There was no war or anyone pushing back against them because they ruled it all. They were overall and ruling according to their own will and desire, so much so that the Jews really had not even been required to take part in the census up until this point. So again, you have to think about that. Every 14 years, and the Jews were not even needed to be part of the census until this very time. So verse 3 tells us that everyone was on his way to register for the census each in his own city. Not where he lived, not where he made his living, but where his ancestors came from. So again, that's important because David was of the family and of the house of David, so he had to go back to the city of David. He had to go back to Bethlehem to be registered there. So they set out on what was probably about a week's journey to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem And again, in the Lord's sovereign operation, it all worked out to that was the time when Mary's pregnancy was complete and she was to give birth. So we must see the Lord's providence at work here. You even have to think about why did Joseph go at this time? They probably didn't say, okay, you have a year to come and be registered. But obviously Joseph was given a specific time to go. Because Mary was to the point of being ready to have her child. It's not like he didn't know that they were nearing the end of the pregnancy. It's not like it was ideal for them to be traveling and on the road in a different place in their hometown. And yet, all this instruction works together to bring Mary and Joseph to the place where the Messiah was to be born. It's the Lord's sovereign operation in the birth of his son. And so what do we take away from that? We take away that the Lord is always at work. The the Lord even works through governments and the systems of every age, even those who are evil. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago in the providence of God, that he brings together all things. He works through all things to bring about exactly as he chooses. Now, 
The, the census may or may not have had any sinful implications. There's probably nothing wrong with counting the people of the day. But these Roman leaders were evil. They were godless God-haters. They wanted nothing to do with the birth of Messiah. And yet the Lord used all of this to bring Mary and Joseph where he needed them to be. Where he had proclaimed throughout the ages that they would be when Jesus was born. The Lord had a plan. The Lord did as he, cho- as he chose to do to accomplish his purchase, purpose, even through sinful leaders. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Friends, we need to understand that. We need to know that the evil systems of our day still fall under the providential hand of the Lord. That's one reason that we should proclaim the gospel in the public space square. That's one reason that we need to pray for our leaders. That's one reason that we need to preach to our leaders. If you have a platform to proclaim the gospel to those in civil service, do so, because the Lord turns their hearts. Now, He can use their sinful actions, but He can also save. He can also turn their hearts, turn them to Christ, hold them in a position of power, and make them a friend to the church if He so chooses. But what we're called to do is to pray and to preach and to proclaim. So on this Christmas morning, friends, let's take heart. Take heart to know that the Lord is in control. He's in the heavens. He does as he pleases. He is at work to accomplish his purposes exactly as he intends. Remember, dear weary saint, that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Remember Romans 8.32 as well. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also freely give us all things? It's the Lord's great favor. So remember his providence. Remember his power. Remember his sovereign operation and know that even in imperfect and difficult and trying circumstances that the Lord is in control. The Lord is at work. The Lord has glorious purposes to bring about. Remember that while, yes, sin does exist and and Satan is in a way the ruler of this present world, that God has but one singular purpose and that is his glory for all eternity. So even in difficulty, even as you battle sin, even as we see the world going from bad to worse to being more and more evil, more and more wicked, more and more immoral, the Lord is at work, and he will bring about his perfect eternal glory. So that's the sovereign operation. Now let's turn and consider the humble incarnation, the humble incarnation of Christ in verses 6 and 7. It says, while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were completed for Mary to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, in the incarnation of Christ, we see a picture of his humility in his birth. But before thinking about that, let's think about the humility of Christ in this act of the incarnation, in the act of Christ taking on flesh. Turn back to John 1. We've been there once. Turn back there again. 
John chapter 1, we, we need to go back to the beginning, to the very beginning, to understand the incarnation of Christ. John 1, beginning at verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The humility of Christ is seen in this, that he was in the beginning with God. He is God himself. The word became flesh. He is the one through whom all things were created. He is the one for whom all things are created. And we must see his incarnation against the backdrop of eternity. To understand the humility of your Savior, you must see the highest heights from which he comes to understand the depths to which he came. This is true God of true God, fully God, yet fully man, takes on flesh. He comes for a singular purpose, to go to the cross. Understand, dear saint, the humility of the Savior. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1 that by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You can see the glory and the majesty and the power of Jesus, eternally God. You know, our minds can kind of comprehend some pictures uh, of what this would be almost like, but then we'll have to take it and stretch it infinitely further because Christ is infinitely higher than any picture we can paint. Think about the oddity of a sitting president having a child born in a barn. Your mind can comprehend how that would just be completely bizarre, but then stretch that as high as you can to think about God, the creator, taking on flesh. The creator coming as a creature in his creation. That's the glory of Christ and his humility in coming to take on flesh. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Again, we, we could consider all the riches of the world, and it still does not reach the riches of the glory of Christ. And for your sake, he became poor. He was impoverished. He laid aside the privileges of his deity. How much do you seek poverty, the laying aside of your own privileges and rights, for the sake of serving the Lord? How much do you seek after your own personal poverty in your service to the church? How much do you seek after your own personal poverty in your proclamation of the gospel to lost, dying, condemned souls? For your sake, he became poor so that he might make you rich. We, we could stretch that picture on and on and on in application. But for the rest of this Lord's day encourage you to think about that. How do I 
impoverish myself? How do I become poor to, to serve the purposes of the glory of God? Philippians 2, verse 7, He emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and he was made in the likeness of men. We keep coming to Scripture because Scripture is what gives us illustrations to help us understand the glory of Christ. The wisdom of men fails utterly in this point, so think about what Scripture says. How far do you go emptying yourself for the Lord's sake? Husbands, how far do you go emptying yourself to serve and to love your wife because you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church? Empty yourself. You should go to bed exhausted every night. This is for all of us. We should go to bed exhausted every night for the sake of the efforts that we give to honor, glorify, obey the Lord, and make much of Him and spread His glory throughout the world. Jesus is the Word made flesh, having come to dwell with His creation. When He came, His glory dwelt among us. And praise the Lord, He was full of grace and truth. So that's one aspect of the incarnation. That really is the incarnation. But then Scripture itself gives us this picture as we think about where and how Christ was born. It shows us how humbling this incarnation was. The, the king of kings is born in an animal stable. He's born in a barn. He is laid in a feeding trough. You know, we don't need to think much about the dramatic scene that verses 6 and 7 present for us. That they are in this town where they know no one. There's no room in the inn. Mary is ready to give birth. Labor is not a calm thing most of the time. Joseph is looking, hoping, trying to find somewhere where they can lay their heads, where she can comfortably and safely give birth. And there's nowhere. And so they wind up in a barn. There's no room in the inn. They end up exactly where the Lord intended. Again, there's so much that we could extrapolate from that to understand how the Lord orchestrates circumstances of our lives to take us exactly where He intends. There's just not time for, for working through all of that, but understand that the Lord is always at work and He brings about His purposes. Son of God laid aside the privileges of being God. He makes his grand entrance into the world that he created. He does so by being born in a barn, sleeping in a feeding trough. This is the humility of Christ. And in many ways, friends, this should be a picture for us of the Christian life. That humility that lowliness of mind. Paul tells us to have the same mind and attitude in ourselves, which was in Christ in this incarnation. So this humility should mark our lives. This lowliness of mind, this low view and low opinion of ourselves, this not pulling to ourselves all that we can to get all that we think we might can accomplish and receive and build up. Rather, we look to the glory of the Lord. We look to the best interest of others. Jesus really said this about himself in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. He said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you have that attitude of Christ? Do you have that attitude of humility? Do you have that desire not to put yourself first, but to serve the Lord above all things, above your ambitions, above your pleasures, above even the things that you might think are are good, but maybe don't align with exactly the truth of Scripture, does not align with the providential orchestration of the Lord. Go to the Lord and serve with gladness, with joy, with humility, you, know, you think about the, the Christmas time and, and all the cards, all the Hallmark cards you might see, and they'll tell you about the magic and the joy and the wonder of Christmas. We don't need a Hallmark card. We have the biblical truth of the wonder and the glory of Christmas, and it's this. It's joy in the Messiah. It's joy in serving Him and His purposes. It's coming before Him in humble, God-honoring service. The wonder of Christmas is not some fanciful story. It's biblical truth. It's historical truth that Christ came in this way in order to give his life as a ransom for many. So we have the sovereign operation, the humble incarnation, and then look at the heavenly declaration. The heavenly declaration in verses 8 through 14. In the same region... There were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. This is, again, a well-known scene of Scripture. The angel, the shepherds in the field, the angel comes, and they are filled with fear. They were out watching their flocks, hoping for a quiet and peaceful night. And then in an instant, the glory of the Lord appears. You just stop and consider the wonder of this, the glory of the Lord. And it says that they were terribly frightened. Surely we would have the same reaction. Out in the pitch black darkness of night, then brightness that is blinding nearly, the glory of the Lord before you. They're terribly frightened. What's happening here? What is really at work in the Lord coming to these shepherds to declare that the Messiah has been born? Calvin says this, and I think it's interesting and something worth pondering. He said, It would have been to no purpose that Christ was born in Bethlehem if it had not been made known to the world. It had to be made known. The birth of Christ had to be declared, but Calvin continued, but his method of doing so appears to the view of men very unsuitable. To the men who were the least deserving, the least expected, shepherds were really among the lowest of occupations of the day. It is believed that shepherds were thought so lowly of that their testimony couldn't even be used in a court of law. So, so the world just had the lowest of low views of these shepherds. But it's to these lowly men, it's to these men who are going about their business, doing their duty, that the glory of God appeared, that the glory of God shone forth and the coming of the Messiah was declared. Christ didn't come to be received by the high political powers of his day, for if he did, he would have been. But he came to seek 
and to save that which had been lost. That is our Messiah. You know, that's the balance, I think, to the previous point where we see that the Lord works through means and we see the need to preach and proclaim Christ to the political powers, to the governing systems of our day. But we understand that we don't seek after power. We don't seek after authority or some kind of platform. We serve in humility and let the Lord work as he wills. Let the Lord spread the power of the gospel as he so chooses. So these men are frightened. They are are terrified, and the angel speaks. Verse 10, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is the heavenly declaration, part one of it at least, that he brings good news of great joy that a Savior has been born. That Savior is Christ the Lord. This is the greatest news ever given. So let's look at that news. He says it's good news of great joy for all the people. For all the people. This is Christ coming to break down the barrier wall that divided the Jews and the Gentiles. He reconciles them through the blood of his cross into one body, into one family, into one people. That is glorious good news because I don't see any Jews in this room, but we are all, if you are in Christ, saints, his people, eternally belonging to and kept by the Lord. This shows the breadth of his salvation, that it's for for all people, that none are excluded except those who don't come to Christ. So it also shows then the limitation of salvation. It's for all kinds of people, but it's only for those who come to Christ, the Savior and the Lord. The angel uses three terms or names or titles to describe Christ. It says that he is the Savior This is a a term that's used as Christ's title only twice by my count in the Gospels. Here and in John 4.42, he's called the Savior. Now, it has described his work that he is to save his people from their sins, but there's only two occurrences where it is his title. Now, what's interesting about that is the Roman emperors of that day would call themselves this very same thing. They would call themselves the Savior. They would have the people hail them as the Savior. But we know from Scripture that there is salvation in none but Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved but the name of Christ. So he is the Savior. He is a Savior who is Christ. Christ the Lord. He is the anointed, the Messiah, the chosen one of God, the the one who came with his duty to accomplish the plans of the Father. He was choice of the Father because he was going to accomplish the plans of the Father. Jesus said, it is my food to do the will of him who sent me. So he is Savior, he is Christ, and he is Lord. This is a reminder that this babe born in humble circumstances is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is above every ruler. 
every power. All things are submitted to Him, Christ the Lord. The angel says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, this kind of, I think, pulls out a string of Scripture that we see. We're not only shown a picture and told about the Messiah in Scripture, but we're told who He is. Scripture reveals who He is, what He does, and how we are to come to Him. You know, the angel could have shown up and just said, hey, there's born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and then disappeared And the shepherds would have known nothing. They would have had nowhere to go. They wouldn't have known how to go to the Messiah. So it is in Scripture. We see here is our Savior. And that we come to Him by repentance and faith. We leave our sin. We take up our cross and follow Him because He is the Messiah. We follow Him with all of our strength because He says that's what we are to do. So we're shown who He is. We're shown what He accomplished. And we're told how to go to Him. Friend, This should mark your discipleship. This should mark your evangelism. You don't just tell that lost soul about Jesus and about what Jesus did, but you command them to come and to repent and to drink of the water that will never run dry, the water of life, to come and to feast and to eat and to see. Don't just tell them about Christ. Show them Christ and show them how to come to Christ even by the way that you live your life. Show Christ in your life. Tell them to come to Christ in faith and repentance. So that's one of our heavenly declarations. And then verse 13 picks up and says, And suddenly, suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace among men with whom he is pleased. What a glorious sight to behold. If the glory of this one angel was not enough, then suddenly, in an instant, there shone forth the glory of a heavenly multitude of angels singing the praises of God, declaring glory to God in the highest. This is a commonly known and used Christmas phrase, and it's often Uh, I I would say almost sadly taken from the King James Version because the King James misses out on a little bit of, I think, the truth here. The King James would translate this to say, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. The KJV is different than the NAS. It's different than the ESV or the LSB because the, the newer translations pick up on this word really what is intended. It's not the Lord's good will to the people. It's that his peace is to those whom he finds pleasure in. Again, read what it says. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. This is a narrowing statement of the gospel because the peace of God is not given to all people. The peace of God is given to those who have life and hope and eternal security because they've given their life to Christ. It's not because you've done something. It's because He has taken pleasure in you. It's because from eternity past, you are marked out and called and set apart and chosen and predestined. In love, He predestined us to adoption in His Son. When he adopts you, when he elects you, 
has pleasure in you. And when he has pleasure in you, when you are his choice and precious one, he calls you out and he gives you peace. You have the peace of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, Paul said that God is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's the Lord who has shown in our hearts. It's the Lord who has done the work. It's not up to us or what we can merit. It's that the Lord takes pleasure in those whom he has eternally loved and called his own. So glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. This is the heavenly declaration. Good news of great joy. The Savior is born. Glory to God in the highest. This Savior is his means by which you have peace. So that all kind of builds up. And there's kind of a summary point in verses 15 through 20 where we see the saints' response. The response is faithful adoration. Faithful adoration. Verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see the thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry. They found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just had been told to them. So notice verse 15, these shepherds, their response, you know, the, the, the so what of all this the response is that the shepherds determined to go find the Christ child immediately. So after the angels went, they said, let us go straight to Bethlehem and find the one that was declared to us. And they went in a hurry. And it's like the picture of Peter and Andrew when Jesus called them to follow him. The, the scriptures tell us that immediately they dropped their nets and followed Christ. Do you have that urgency in following the Savior? That, that when you see a glimpse of him, that you drop everything to follow that glimpse. Maybe you're studying the scriptures in the morning and you've got somewhere to be or you've got something else to do, but you see this glimpse of the glory of Christ. And rather than going about your day, you say, no, I'm going to chase this glimpse of the glory of the Lord. I'm going to dwell a little longer in the presence because I love the Lord, because I want to see him. I want to know him. I want to commune with him. The shepherd saw the glory they chased after it. It was declared to them that glory awaited if they went to see the Christ child, and they went immediately. So they went, they found the stable, they relayed and related all that had been told to them about the child. And what's the response? They make known in verse 18, it says, All who heard wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds, they wondered and marveled at the things they had heard. They, they saw these glorious things, and they responded with praise and wonder at God's hand. You know, in the season of Christmas, you might be a little bit more quickened to respond with, with this type of wonder, this type of joy, and, 
and astonishment at the work of God. But how often do we let the busyness of life or the stressors of life or the struggles of life or our own affairs cause us not to slow down and appreciate the glory of the Lord? Friend, dwell with the Lord. Walk with Him. Allow Him to show you His glory through His Word. Look at Mary's response. Verse 19, Mary treasured all these things. She pondered them in her heart. You, know, you just think what she has been through. Again, Mary's a young woman at, at this point, very young, and you think what she's witnessed, what she's been through. She has the angel come and say, hey, you are favored by God, and you will bear the Christ child into the world, the Lord, the, the Savior, the Messiah. You, you know that she was looked at sideways because she was not yet married, and yet she was with child. You, she, she dealt with some of the, the scornful looks and thoughts and comments she dealt with the unknown of how would Joseph respond. She knew the Lord would take care of her, but, but how would the Lord do that? And then it says, when all this has happened, when it's been declared, when it's been made known, she treasured all of this. She pondered it in her heart. And you get this idea that it's just this private joy, this private exaltation. It's not that she had been vindicated, that she was overjoyed at the arrival of the Savior. Friend, do you have that heart today that you are overjoyed because of the work of the Messiah? We ought to ponder these things, to think about the babe who, who laid aside the glory of heaven so that he could come and take your sins upon himself at the cross so that you could be free from their power and their penalty and from one day their very presence. Be like Mary, ponder in your heart, consider the work of the Lord and glory and revel and exult in it. And lastly, in verse 20, the shepherds, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told. And we don't have that same experience that the shepherds did of going to see the Christ child, but friend, let me make the argument to you that we have a far more glorious experience because we have the full revelation of God, the prophetic word made more sure. We have all this glory in the Scripture. We don't need to see the Christ child in person because we have all that we need pertaining to life and to godliness in the Scriptures. We have the Word and we have the ordinances, the Lord's table, baptism, that make the word visible to us. And we exalt in glory and take joy in those things. We have to go away from every experience with the Lord's word, rejoicing, moved by the Spirit to joy and praise and repentance and deeper faith. So as we celebrate this Christmas day, may we see the marvelous and glorious work of the Lord that was done through Jesus the Christ, the Messiah who is the Lord. And may we respond with hearts that glorify and praise Him. And we see the Christ child today. And kids, y'all listen to this closely. May we celebrate Christmas as we remember the birth of Jesus, but we celebrate a Savior we celebrate one who is a king who went to a cross so that you could be forgiven, 
For all the sins you committed, they were placed upon Him if you go to Him in faith and repentance. So yes, we enjoy the things of this world, but don't miss the greatest picture that we must see in Christmas, that Christ is the Savior. May the peace of Christ, may the joy of Christ fill our hearts today. May the peace and the joy of Christ fill our hearts every day. And as we're filled with that joy and that peace and that praise, that will transform us. That will conform us to the image of Christ. That will make us like our Savior. So pursue those things. And when Christ is your greatest joy, when Christ is your greatest treasure, your life will look like His. You won't be perfect but you will be putting off sin and putting on Christ each and every day. So may we walk after Christ, may we pursue Him, and may we be filled with great joy as we celebrate this Christmas today and throughout the next day and weeks as we walk after Christ. May He be praised by His people. Let's pray.